This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by Bella Catering. Bellacatering.com.au is where you can find them. They are Sydney's best catering company and they've pivoted to home delivery. So if you're in the greater Sydney area, seek them out. Folks, thank you so much for listening to this show and all the shows on One Hit Minute Productions. We've had a bit of a, a gap week this week, but you've got a great couple of episodes um, coming up for you. You have this episode of All the President's Minutes coming up with the amazing Fran Hoffner. You have a, a our two follow-up episodes of the small limited series, Three Hands, coming up with Gregor Jordan talking about his career and his latest release, Dirt Music. And finally, you've got the fourth last episode of Increment Vice. Cannot wait to share all of those with you. We'll be back to our more regular and frequent programming of all the President's Minutes next week. But until then, here's one of my very favorites, Fran Hoffner. Let's get to it. The president wanted people to remain calm. Well, let's get so back. No, but Susan, I, this is important. Susan, I, and I, I want to add, but if, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I have to I'm speaking. Yeah, you so can have 15 I, I, I more wanna, seconds, and then we'll give the vice president a chance to So respond. I want to ask the American people, how calm were you when you were panicked about where you're going to get your next roll of toilet paper? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me is one of my favorite people. She's a staff writer at Bright World Dark Room, and I call her just like a raconteur who sort of blows in like the breeze. And whenever she writes something, I get really excited. Her latest piece on Some Like It Hot was amazing. Uh, her recollecting on viewing things with her mom, especially Pulp Fiction, was another one of the, 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 the most amazing pieces I think I've ever read. And she has been a guest on multiple one heat minute production shows one where she compared heat to sort of a 18th century novel Two, where she got reply guide by host travis woods about not liking the show that she was on to talk about um but we love him so much for it he he does love it and 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 fran my guest today is such a good sport but today she's joining me for all the president's men and all the president's minutes to talk about a deep throat scene and i just couldn't think of any other person that i want to talk to more right now ladies and gentlemen Fran Hoffner. Fran, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you. That was, you're the best at introductions. Thank you so much for having me back. <laughs> and look, um, we're glad to have you back and you know, much love to Trav um, because I know that he'll probably find out about this in either a Slack chat or, a, 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 or, a, or listening to the Trav show himself. Trav and I are totally fine. It's like, it's good for us to disagree. And like, I it's need really more good. people in my life to, to disagree with me on stuff. It's really good. It's really healthy. And uh, actually, I think it might've been partially, you know, my, uh, 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 my push is, you know, as any, as part of any, creative project that you do, especially like a podcast when you're analyzing stuff, you cannot have an echo chamber of the same kinds of voices and you cannot have the same opinions. You need people to come in and like test you, you know, like I don't like this movie or I wasn't into it or I've never seen it. And, and so I, I think that that's, for me, that always makes the best discussions because if you look back at it and you're like, wow, we had these amazing convos, those folks who challenge you sometimes become your favorite conversations because you walk out of it and you're like, God damn it. Like, I don't feel satisfied with that, but that's the, that was the conversation that we had. It was good. 
Totally. And it's stuff that people have challenged me on and vice versa, where like in the moment, I think it can sometimes feel like heated or like, I feel I'm very stubborn. So I like want to stick to my guns, but it's the like three and five years down the line where I'm like, oh no, that person was right. And I was wrong. Like I need, I need sort of the seed to be planted that I could be wrong so that, you know, half a decade later I could be like, okay, I, ad- I admit it. That that's called growth. It's like half a day. It you is. Can, it you, is possible. <laughs> if you could be ready five years later to remember one conversation that annoyed you, I think you can be. That's uh, that's good. Um, thank you so much for doing this. I know that it is a crazy time. I've been rushing toward hurtling toward the end of this project uh, to coincide with hopefully finishing it before the election starts because I think that this project has engaged enough with American politics, but um, thank you for coming back into the 1970s paranoia thriller uh, area with me. I don't know if you're, if, if this is your bag, are these paranoid movies from the seventies? Are this, is this something that you'd like as we, we haven't talked as much about these kinds of movies before. Um, It's a bit of a blind spot for me, uh, but I slot this more into just sort of like a journalism movie and like, I love a journalism movie yeah. because yeah. I sort of come from a journalism background ish. Um, so <laughs> me too. Parts of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. change, I'm gonna, are you a journalist sort of ish? Well, it, like I, I worked in a satirical newsroom. You which did. I did. I was with the onion for a couple of years. Oh so, my goodness. Um, like the onion is not necessarily reporting on real news, but it functions like a real newsroom where you've got people sort of in and out of like, you know, the editor's office. It's just the conversations are absurd. Um, so I always, you and, know. And, I, and actually way more like what it's like to work in a real newsroom in 2020. <laughs> it's, like no, working totally. at, it's like working at The Onion. There's been so many times this year where people have pulled up a piece from The Onion and then put it next to a real news story and went, uh, the world is The Onion now. Like, like it's insane. I don't want to be like, I had amazing foresight to get out when I did, but I had amazing foresight to get out when I did, just because like, you could see the writing on the walls. But I always, when I watch this, I think like, that's what I did, even though it's nothing close to what I did. But I do feel sort of like a companionship with this kind of movie. So I think from that aspect, you know, I slot this in with like, you know, a spotlight or something like that. Spotlights like, and the yes. papers and broadcast news is that they, they, they've all got that kinship. There's not enough journalism movies. No, but I also think the ones we have glorify it a little too much. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yes. We so can we, I think, we, we can talk about that too. Yeah, we yeah we should. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely should. But I've dropped you in. You know, there there are some guests who I just inadvertently drop into like massive scenes, and I've literally dropped you in the you know the the second of three massive deep throat scenes right in the middle of him grilling uh, uh, Bob Woodward played uh, by Robert Redford about his inexactitudes and his mm-hmm. carelessness uh, reporting. So that's, um, so thank you for joining me on that. Let's, let's start there, but I want to come, I want to circle back to glorifying journalists a hundred percent. And I want to circle back to the onion becoming reality too. But Fran sure. and I are going to watch the 106th minute of Alan J. Pakula and Robert Redford's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men Together. Now you guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Yeah. Does the FBI know what we know? It does justice.
Why haven't they done anything? If it didn't deal directly with the break-in, they didn't pursue. Who told them not to? Don't you understand what you're on to? Mitchell knew? Of course, Mitchell knew. You think something this size just happens? Haldeman had to know, too. I ain't got nothing from me about Haldeman. Segretti said that. Don't concentrate on Segretti. You'll miss the overall. Oh, such a good scene. So good. Holbrook so- is amazing. He's just so wonderful. Everything about this. And I love, I just love the colors. He looks like he's an exhumed corpse just because the greens, <laughs> you know, like he just does. Like I keep saying underworld when you talk about this and I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty evident that that's kind of what they're going for. But I just love like the greens in his face and just everything. It's just, he's impenetrable. Like he's like uh, this and he's just like justice new. And he's just like, I love his poker face. It's such a great little scene. It's so good. And I think what's amazing about journalism movies from the past is that uh sources were uh are fine to not be helpful <laughs> or to only be helpful to a certain degree i love where he, yeah. when, when he'll just be like well i can't say any that sort of standard of just like well i can't talk about this but then him just being like you got to figure this one out for yourself like i'm not doing your work for you i'm not on payroll um so i love that he he sets the terms yeah and and that's a really great point is um that s- so many people in this film, but then it, you know, sort of like cauterizes with Holbrook's character deep right? But they're like, I will say this much. They'll just like give you the parameters of what they're willing to share. And then that's it. That's the total. That's the sum total of what they're going to allow themselves to share because anything else, so many people are complicit in it in some way that if they share too much, they're going to indict themselves with like a confession. Like oh, I did this because someone so told me. And so, yeah, I, I love that. But you know, but they, he sets the template, right. For unhelpful. And we don't really see too many really unhelpful sources in many journalism movies after this. No, because it's considered this like altruistic thing to do now. Yes. Um, yes. That, like, to sp- or it's like, it's been framed as such. Um, that anything you can do to help build a story when usually like, I think more often than not, people are cagey and they don't want to share and they're very on edge about doing so. And, and this movie puts it right out on front street. There's that great moment a little bit earlier, which we've talked about at length where they're seeing Hugh Sloan's wife and they're like, it's really for his benefit. And she just straight out says, no, it's not. And then Redford's Woodward goes, no, no, it isn't. Like it's not for, if you're a source, it's not for your benefit because it's only, it means the hammer's coming down in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a scary thing to do. Yeah. And this is, and that, I think that this movie, what is great about it is it makes it scary. Like everyone Mm -hmm. feels like they're being watched. Everyone knows what the stakes are. There's never really a point that you're like, except for the great redheaded red herring lady who just wants to sit and have a chin wag. Like everyone knows that there's something, something that's going to happen by passing on this information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is, Hey, this one goes all the way up to the top. (laughs) There's nothing we can do about it. It's just how it was. It goes all the way up. Goes all the way up. It doesn't feel relatable to 2020 in any way, shape or form. So firstly, let's talk about glorifying journalists. I want to come back to that because, um, there is definitely, you know, the lionized hopeful journalist is kind of what Redford was going for. Like he wants to, he wants to lionize these guys. And, but I, I think cause he's just wants to 
you know, put them on blast that they've done such an amazing job to, to sort of reveal this and to say, this is the power of journalism, but it's not necessarily applicable to all journalism stories, right? Cause you know, there's not a, maybe for every, all the presidents, man, we need more shattered glasses out there um, in, in the world, or at least a, maybe a middle ground where it's not all the way shattered glass and it's not all the way presidents, but it's somewhere falling in the middle. We're, we're overdue on a TMZ movie, you know, oh. something that's real sort of like nasty and like, that was called you know, Nightcrawler, I, wasn't? It? <laughs> Isn't that what? You know it? what? That is true, and the, I kind of lo- I sort of loathed Nightcrawler when I saw it, and now I think I would love it because yeah. now I think I'm sort of jaded enough to really be on the same wavelength with that movie. Yeah, I the the TMZ movie is desperately needed because it's also it's like perverting what it is. It's like it's all the same things that these people do, but for completely different, like clickbait. You know, there, there doesn't seem to be any social conscience in a TMZ of the world where it's like, no, we're just going to like, we're going to burn every source. We're going to burn every person. We're going to set fire to it all. And in the beautiful clickbait that will happen on these fiery, you know, inflammatory stories and takedowns, like that's just what's going to happen. We don't mind. We'll just burn everything to the ground. Yeah. And I have like, I have no beef with real heroic journalists, but it's like, there's just such a spectrum and we either see sort of like the best of the best or the worst of the worst. I mean, this is, you know, art generalizes overall, but I think like it wasn't until I sort of stepped out of the field that I was able to look at it um, a little more objectively and just see the types of like relationships uh, journalists and subjects have with one another. Um, And also when I was on the other side of things, like, I, I now have been like interviewed for like media adjacent things. And like, that is a nerve wracking experience. Yeah. Um, and like, um, I got, so I've been in school the past two years, but I'm done now. But one of the authors I was introduced to when I was in school, who I'd never read previously is Janet Malcolm. Yes. Is, have you read any? No, I haven't read read Janet Malcolm. She's amazing. She's a, she's just sort of like a, you know, creative nonfiction biographer, journalist. And she wrote an amazing book, I think in the eighties called the journalist and the murderer, which I think does get taught in a lot of journalism schools now, but it was my first time reading it. And it's basically this amazing narrative about a case in which, you know, a journalist sort of paired himself with um, an accused murderer's defense team to be like, I'm going to sit in on however nine months long this trial is, and I'm going to sit in with the defense and I'm going to write a book about it. And so he spent all the time with these defense lawyers, all the time with this accused murderer, um, lived in like the same house as a lot of them to like build the story, build the story, really buddy, buddy, all boys, all friendly. And then the second (laughs) the trial was over, like published his book and the book was like, I knew this guy was guilty the whole time. Here's all this suspect shit about him. And the murder, and this guy went to jail. And the guy sued him from jail for misrepresentation because he was like, you pretended to be my friend for a year and then you wrote this really (laughs) mean book about me. And the jury did not come down on the side of the journalist. They were like, yeah, you were really mean to this guy who killed his family. (laughs) And it's just about like, it's like we hate journalists when we think about what they do. And she has this quote of just like, you know, like a journalist is a con man. It's all just sort of gaming the system because people sort of think they do want to be asked questions up until the point when they have to read what their answers are. And I mean, this is so many great different examples of just like this film is so many great different examples of like all the different ways to avoid answering questions and and all the ways to get someone to try to answer one. 
And I love what you said about the comment because like, you know, I've, I've got lots of friends who are journos and I remember, I remember very vividly and it might've been like almost a decade ago at a house party with friends and there was like a stack of journos there. And one of my best friends, Maria was talking then to my, well, it's like just my girlfriend at the time or fiance at the time. Um, uh, and going, you know, talking with her and, and, you know, and she's like, Oh, you should meet my friend. You know, and started talking about my wife's story. Gosh, she's, her family's got a great story. And I watched this journalist guy get in a, and I won't say his name on the show, but I watched him get in a really gross journalistic posture. And I'm going to show you, friend, was like finger on the side of the face like this and started asking questions to my wife. And I was looking at him and I'm like, ugh. I, that was my first response is like, ew. Like <laughs> this is not a formal interview. She's not a subject. She's just got a a yarn to spin, you know, like she's got a, a, an interesting tale or an interesting background. And it was just really gross to watch him be like, I'm going to get in my doing journalism, asking questions face mode while I'm talking to you. And it is, it is a funny thing. And like the, what's cool about this movie is the Carl Burns scene of it all is just naked. Like he's authentic about being gross and about the gamesmanship of having to do it. Whereas Woodward is still, at least up until kind of this point in the movie is still a bit blind to like the waspy integrity of like, no, we can ask them a nice question and they will answer because people should be compelled to speak the truth. And uh, it's, it's not, it's not exactly like that at all. No. And what I love about the sort of like Woodward Bernstein dynamic also is Bernstein's a certainly less shame full about it but it's yeah. just not that good at it either like it's still sort of like finessing it and you know winds up with his like 20 cups of coffee um to try to get someone to talk to him which i found very uh relatable for like you know woodward yeah is like trying his best to pursue this noble route in a very often ignoble business yeah Please tell me about your experience working for The Onion and seeing how it functions as a real newsroom and especially in relation to this film because, you know, um, I, I think in one of our last chats, I wasn't aware that you had there, but knowing the way you write and you just being funny just in, and even watching you on a cinephile game night and having a cackle at everything that you say, I'm like, of course Fran works for The Onion, of course. I mean, it's a it's a quieter part of my past, if only because like that room is sort of compelled to be quiet. It's a, yes. you know it's a really interesting job because, um, you know, there's pros and cons to this, but the Onion doesn't have bylines. Yeah, um, I don't. and that's in part because stories are like a communal effort. So often one person will write a headline, but a different person will write the story, and maybe two different editors will then touch it. So it's it be and it's more like that in real newsrooms too. Yes. Maybe not with like headlines, but like, um. You know, it felt, it always feels sort of like, you know, it, it works best if we don't know who the person is. So there was kind of no like public celebrity to be gained from working there because it's not like I was ever like allowed to take credit for what I was doing personally, um, yes. which was humbling and good in a way. Um, and so like the bulk of the work that I did there and I worked a bunch of different little jobs, but like I was mostly editing. So I was on the like, you know, the less glory driven side of things. But, um, <laughs> you know, like w we had like morning timely meetings and a lot of like, we have to figure out how to crack what our take of this story is like the most like 
sort of, I mean, outside of like election season, which was, which I mean, I worked one election cycle there. I worked through the 2016 election cycle, which was exhausting and some real like nine to nine days, if not nine to midnight days. Um, But what I think about all the time is like when uh, Supreme Court Justice Scalia died, I just remember that being a Saturday night and the the story broke at maybe like 5 p.m. And I think I was sort of scheduled to go out with some friends two of whom were also onion people and we all basically just got the push notification and then within 10 minutes the email that was like we gotta work like it's saturday (laughs) night and we have to figure out what our thing is on this like we don't get to push this till monday so it has that sort of real-time immediacy and similarly like i mean with the 2016 like election results not going the way Uh. that perhaps people anticipated that was sort of a like you know, I think a lot of people felt disoriented and not willing to sort of emotionally Ah. face what that was. And for us, it was like, not only do we have to like process this as people, but like we have to process this thing. We had no very little preparation, just like work-wise to talk about. I I would imagine that just like everyone, it's funny, like even just, you know, privately, I've been talking about that day. Um, I remember being at my day job at the time and I had the the sort of, I think it's 438 or 538 or whatever that side is that shows the election predictive, you know, numbers. I think you know the one. Mm -hmm. And I remember having it on like my second screen and I was working on my main screen, you know, writing some stuff and I looked over and the prediction was like, Oh, you know, Clinton will take this state 70, 30. That's all the predictive numbers and the polling and all that sort of stuff. And then the actual result was 80, 20 Trump. And that was like one of the first things. And I remember doing like a quadruple take to my second screen. And then I just stopped working and was watching and I'm, I'm not in the States. And so I would imagine there's a whole bunch of people prepare, like, especially, you know, at the onion, like drafting up ideas like, okay, well, the likely thing is that Trump will lose. And therefore, you know, here's some rough ideas or some outlines of things that we could pursue. And when all those dominoes start to fall and Trump gets elected, it's like, holy shit, let's actually have to throw out absolutely everything that we had maybe thought about. Um, It's like those poor people who like, uh, and in Australia, it happens with like our football and NRL, every team that goes to the final game, it's like our Super Bowl has to print we won the Super Bowl, like we won the grand final t-shirts, right? <laughs> yes. For both teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just totally. in case. And then someone gets that box and burns it when they lose because it doesn't exist. And sometimes you can find them on the black market, which is hilarious. You can find them like on eBay for like, you know, a hundred dollars to buy they they actually won for the alternate history. Um but yeah, like I would imagine you just chuck everything out and it's like start again and process it. And you know, what a crazy time. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, exactly. And like right before, you know, we started talking, I don't know if you saw, but like, I think it was deadline accidentally tweeted that Mike Pence has COVID with a sort of like, do not like only pub when true Pence diagnosed with COVID, a very sort of like TK, TK, do not publish accidentally went out. Um, but it's like, I think people don't know that like so many media companies and organizations like are prepared for things like that and think about these likely scenarios and try like so many jobs to do as best as possible to like make less work for yourself in the long run. So you write up like, okay, here's the most likely thing is sort of like Hillary Clinton is going to win. So we have everything set up for that. And then like, maybe like she won't win as many as we want her to. So we have that set up. And it was like, we didn't, I mean, we didn't have nothing for Trump, but we didn't have the slate that we thought we needed to have. And we didn't have like the sort of like emotional impact. And I remember it getting to be like, 
ooh, 11 p.m. that Tuesday <laughs> night and just being like, I think we had been told we were allowed to take a half day the next day under the assumption that things were going to go our way. And like at 11 p.m., all still in the office, all watching a big TV, they were just like, you guys got to be in at like 8.30 tomorrow. Like we don't get to take tomorrow off. <laughs> There's um, no tomorrow off now. And it's like, oh God. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's certainly like a significantly less um, moral pursuit writing satirical news, but it had enough of the bones of a newsroom and a movie like All the President's Men and I think Broadcast News. I'm sort of like, they should make you watch these when you get a job in yeah. media, just so you don't get, you know, poison brainworms from, yes. from the type of work that it is. No, but also you're, you're right with, um, it's why The Onion is good. It's why it's a good publication, you know, is that you take it as serious. You, you have this, the structures of the newsroom. So there's the urgency and the intent. And so it's like, we have to have a take and we need our people and we need to make sure that we're prepared. And so that's obviously why it still continues to cut through. So that's important. But it's really funny that you said is like, the next journalism movie I want is I want that really thankless job of people having to go and write all of the pre have to pre-write all of the obits, like the obit headlines and stories, like just three or four people shooting the shit, busting each other's balls. Like, Oh my God, you know, I've got to pre-write all of the, you know, especially in COVID. Oh, this person's got COVID. Okay. Well we better write an obit for them to get ready because if this person passes away and like all of the countless amount hours of work that people are putting into writing these things that just never go anywhere or just sit in a file for, you know, a year or two years or 10 sometimes um, for that, you know, we need, we need more stories like that where it's not just we're taking down the president, we're writing all the COVID obits before they actually happen. Yeah, there's so many just weird parts of the journalism <laughs> machine. Yes. We need a movie on copy editors, honestly. <laughs> like we need to show they they are the the, the, the heroes, the most they are- valuable part. Yeah. <laughs> they are the people who like Janet Malcolm is like, no like journalism is morally reprehensible, but I'm just like <laughs> copy editing is uh the opposite of that copywriting is the most noble thing you can do (laughs) and and also um in amongst all of the and i know how much garbage uh copy i've turned in personally i'll I'll confess now like that that needed a copy edit and when a copy editor looked at it i was like oh thank christ you know because it's like Mm -hmm. actually someone saving you from getting your thoughts together before a sort of more meaningful, you know, content edit, which comes later. But, oh man, those copy editors every single day, that thankless grammar nerds that they are, bless their hearts. They just, they're doing the great work. They're perfect. They really are. Uh, So here we are 106 minutes into this movie. Holbrook is amazing, but I love also, this is my favorite part. It's like probably my favorite segment of, Redford's performance because it's this real transition phase where he's starting to genuinely show fear. Like there's something and uncertainty where in the whole movie, despite everything that's going on and it's just that also his persona, it's like confidence, you know, you know, he's, he's quite confident and they're quite assured that they're on the right path. But right now he's so in this scene, he's very cagey and his eyes are wide and it's almost like the whites of his eyes are even wider than they've been at any other part of this movie. And just against Holbrook's like sternness, he looks in a bit of disarray. Yeah. The movie does an amazing job sort of oscillating between 
the play acting of being a journalist and the actuality of being a journalist. Yes. Um, yes. Which I think it like goes back and forth between like the confidence of like what I'm doing is important and it matters. And like, it's a puzzle, which is like fun to solve um, to being like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing correctly? <laughs> yes. um, what are the consequences for doing the thing that I get paid to do? Yes. And here he's butting up against, and I, I love what you said earlier, which is you've got a cagey source who doesn't want to tell it, but also he's really specific about how much Redford should know based on the information that he has given him. Like I've given you, he's like, I've given you enough to know that you are here. And, and mm -hmm. Woodward, Redford's Woodward's like, uh, well, this person knows and this person, and he just looks angry and infuriated. And it's like, like you said, in this moment, he's, he's in a moment where he thinks he should know it and he's seeking out like the same sort of comfort or advice or guidance that he's getting from his editors from this source. And the source is just going, no, 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 you don't know anything. Um, yeah. It's, it, and I think whether it's an undercover cop or whether it's a journalist that they have that great thing in common, which is, and, or, or it's like a cop interrogating as Al Pacino does in heat, you know, like there is a play acting in every role that you mm -hmm. do in your life. You know, you play act, you teaching, there's Fran, the teacher versus, you know, <laughs> Fran who we're talking to now. It's like, and you play act when you're getting interviewed about something that you do, you know, you, you, you sort of have your, your persona that you have for that interview. But yeah, I, I love that. Like in this moment, he's like, he's just in complete disarray because he feels like he should be further ahead of this game than he is. Yeah. And you, and you really only get those scenes also when, um, Woodward's not with Bernstein. Yeah. Like when they're together, they not only do they have their little rapport, but they're they're very sort of confident in like their sort of group effort and they can play act, they can do all their like, I love all the eating scenes between oh, them, them eating. So it's a great food movie. Um, <laughs> a really sort of underrated food movie, but- I don't want a cookie, them. Fran. I don't want a cookie. But I love Bernstein's oh. just hammering <laughs> Amazing. cookies. Amazing. <laughs> I don't, that is very true um, to the journalism <laughs> experience, but you know, it's like, that's such a far cry from him when he's with um, the source. And I also think the thing that is like, I think what people don't realize about sort of sources, or I think like that aspect of journalism is largely like left a mystery to the public is like, journalists talk to so many more sources than go on the record or that get yeah. cited in the piece. Um, Journalists are talking to like double digit number of people for probably every one quote included. And every source spoken to like thinks, sort of thinks of themselves as the one person being referenced also. So like Deep Throat certainly has like the authority because I think he knows the most, but he's also like, I'm calling the shots as the big source, but it's like, he might not even be like the most crucial part and Woodward also has to like take into account every other thing, every other parameter going into it. Yeah. It's, I think that's when you rewatch it, the importance of the confirmation, because who cares in a vacuum, one source saying something, especially for these guys means nothing. They then have mm -hmm. to go, we know this is exactly how it worked. This is basically what we're running with. And then have other sources who are willing to go on the record to basically confirm all of the elements of what Deep Throat's telling them. Because if they don't have those, Bradley won't let them print it. And so it's kind of to that, to that level as well. And I think, you know, there's, 
big, uh, a, lo- a lot of cases that happen with the Me Too movement, but there's other things, you know, in Australia, one of the sort of more infamous uh, Me Too cases was, it was about actor Jeffrey Rush um, and sort of you, you heard, you heard on the grapevine um, that so many sources were contacted about that story, but so few people could officially go on the record because they'd heard things and there were, you know, only sort of, key individual players who then got litigated about it. And the, you know, the, one of our papers in the country is currently, um, uh, you know, challenging a, an overruling, you know, or, or, or a defamation case about it. So I don't know how much I can say, but, you know, I heard on the grapevine for many years, months about people being contacted about that stuff. And you hear, you know, even if you're even remotely located in the entertainment journalism field, you hear stories and you get them confirmed by multiple sources and you're like, Will let people eventually go on the record? Yes, and some of them do, but it's it's you know it's like ten to one basically. Like there's so many sources they call here who will just flat out not go on the record. They will not say a thing. And I think those door knocks that get slammed in your face is evidence that here's a hundred people who could go on the record, and like one of them lets me in the house. You know, that's the yeah. only, that's that's what it is. And it's tedious and it's frustrating because you know if everyone said yes, it's like maybe this would be done, you know, done in a week or something like that. But yeah. it's, it's a really frightening thing to do. And like, I mean, the, everything with Me Too is very complicated, but I think it sort of brought to light how corroboration works, Yeah, which is just like an often just like misunderstood part of journalism or like the layperson's understanding of journalism is anyone can say something and it can get published. Yes. Whereas it's just like, it's really complicated to kind of report any news event um like it actually is a way more difficult bit of like mental math of who who can agree to something and who is willing to like be either brave enough or stupid enough to have their name go up against you know go alongside something they want to say yeah, it's really fun. The the fun, uh, another movie reference, of course, this is a, a one heat meter production. So it's a Michael Mann movie I'm going to mention is The Insider. Um, you know, so Russell Crowe's playing Jeffrey Wigand and he, you know, he is literally a chief scientist in a tobacco company, one of the heads of the company. He has all the insights. He's seen all the data. He does it. But to even get that, in, you know, they, they take it. He's, he's a willing source. He gives them all the information that they want. But then for them to be allowed to pass that through the public sphere it's like go and testify in a case so that it's on the public record in a state because we already have a class action against this with scientific results but we've never had an insider it's like it's how freaking overly complicated is that like in 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 the 70s context it's like have the source corroborate the source and even that's complex corroborate the source with multiple corroborations and Mm -hmm. then publish um and then have it pressure tested by your editorial team and then publish um, but you know, get it yeah. on the record, go to another state, maybe get it in there, maybe get like some injunction so you can't actually speak about it. It's, it's just kind of all over the place. There's no, there's not as much romance in the insider <laughs> for a source no. and getting it out. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty rigorous and it's pretty tough. That's the drama. There's some, there's, you know, some fun rapport between like Woodward <laughs> and Bernstein and some of their sources here. Like, think they have fun with some of some of the gals whose like homes they show up at but like the thing I love about the insiders like these guys do those guys do develop like a good working relationship but they're not friends at the end of it like and that is sort of I think you know the Janet Malcolm journalist and the murderer thing is like the journalist is not your friend like 
the journalist may protect you, but like they don't necessarily like you. Like they no. need you as an object for yes. their job. Yes. That and it's actually one way. Mm-hmm. And all yeah. the way back at all the president's men, it was very clear that it's actually one way mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And so it's like some people might get a nice relief. You know, you get the bookkeeper character um, played by Jane Alexander. She does get some relief from sort of confessing. And you see that in the way that she portrays the character. But if she's, if they know who Judith Hoback Miller is right then, she's in deep trouble. Like they didn't know that it was her giving all this information, but she was in such a position of, you know, of information and influence at the time that she was off the record. But then later they do, they're like, this is the lady, this is Judy Hoback Miller. She was the bookkeeper. She was the one who kind of got them on, you know, got them uh, the information they needed to get to the next level. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's fun. It's very romantic. It's very romantic. It's so, it's so nice to think that people can do this, but you know, I think you after working in the onion and, and and now in contemporary times in a week, I think someone the other day, it might've even been like Kamal Nanjani or someone was like, that was like, it was, it was the day that Trump had gotten diagnosed with COVID in the same week, Melania Trump's Christmas tape had come out. There'd been the tax stories. There'd been all these other crazy stories. And I think Kamal Nanjani at the time tweeted like the tax story was seven days ago. And it's like, (laughs) it's like the world cannot keep up with the level of scoops and, and, and I just, I've never seen anything like it in my time. And I, and even knowing, having researched for this show, I don't know of another time in history where literally so much was going on and it wasn't just one story. It is like a, it's just like an avalanche of things that are breaking through. Yeah. And I think the sort of shift from print journalism into web journalism is like, you know, directly tied into that. We're just like, you know, like I miss a a front page. We have so few front pages, which do so much of the like mental lifting of knowing what is important just because you know it tells our sort of like dumb animal brains like okay this is the biggest so it is the most important whereas now in the sort of constant stream of things like i i don't even know what to um latch on to and i was very ignorant during the um impeachment trial just because i was like i don't know how much this matters no one is able to tell me how much this matters in a way that i just can't get invested in it um, and I actually have asked guests off air on this show, like, okay, so tell me what, like during the recording, I'm like, so tell me what actually needs to happen if he is impeached. Like, cause I'm Australian too. So I don't know the ins and outs of like the, the impeachment process. It's like, so they get impeached in the house and they're impeached. And then, you know, the, there's a, the Senate hearing and they basically have to do the same process again. And if it happens in both houses, it happens. And then the Republicans right. have to choose a new candidate. And it's like, and, and then when I was talking to those people, they're like, but he'll never get impeached in the Senate. And I'm mm-hmm. like, so what are we doing this for? <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. <laughs> no refuse ex- and like <laughs> refuse to follow it. Cause I was just like, this is just like dog and pony show stuff. Like uh, it's, it's very, it's all theatrics, um, it's, it's which all is th- all, what this whole country's government has become. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to know what matters. Um, and I guess that is sort of like, why it's nice to still rely on journalists to some degree, because like, I think the writing when clearly and sometimes beautifully put, like can explain why something matters. And I, 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 I totally echo that sentiment. And I just want to say that whichever publication figures out to have a, a, 
a, a sane virtual front page that mm. actually can underscore, I don't know, there's got to be a way to do it. They can actually underscore what is important and help, yeah. like you said, our, our reptilian brains like process, like what is actually the most important thing of the day. I think that those are, are going to continue to help and, and, and actually, you know, just process and then move on to the next thing. These are the most important stories and, 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 and you do that. Because I think that that 24, also the magazine show format, let's discuss the same topic for 12 hours and then just bring on, you know, six other weirdos to talk about it and have some strange take that is completely non-factual and, and completely digresses from the point. They also help to, you know, rip what actually makes sense apart. So you're like, what are they actually even talking about anymore? Like, is there facts? Is there anything? Is there, what is going on? Yeah. I don't blame people who are confused. Like, <laughs> no, I think of myself as pretty tapped in and I'm, I'm sort of confused most of the time with what's going <laughs> on. Um, and I think surrendering myself to some of that is okay, but it is really, there's a lot of energy in remaining vigilant in yes. sort of information. Well, Let's hope just like Deep Throat, we can stay on point and we can yes. understand the big picture. And um, I just want to say- set our own boundaries. I love, I, it's so inspired by <laughs> his ability to just be like, I don't, I'm not talking about that. No comment. Um, <laughs> sort of a lost art to not weigh in on something. I really, I really think we need like, um, you'll get nothing from me on- xyz like i feel like i want to say you'll get nothing from me on the mank trailer you know what i mean like i just you'll get <laughs> you like you'll get nothing from me on a, an advertisement of a movie that no one has seen like i feel like you'll get nothing from me on a movie i haven't seen is basically mm -hmm. what i want is is kind of a take i think we need to practice more my version of that was um the force majeure remake downhill <laughs> yes i was just like you're not getting anything from me on that. <laughs> not going to happen. People want me to say something about that. I got, I'm not giving anything. No, doesn't. No. no, you'll get nothing from me. You'll get nothing no. from me on that. You'll get, mm -mm. I, 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 for the longest time, I was like, you'll get nothing from me on black hat. Um, Ooh. but, but, <laughs> but, but, but I think no, we need that more. We need people to go. No, you're not getting a take from me on that. You don't need it. Yeah. You don't need it. That's a that's a that's a good practice. Who'd have thunk we'd be talking about Hal Holbrook's practices of like how to avoid <laughs> answering questions online? It's good. This is uh, this yeah. is really good. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the show. You're My an gosh. absolute blast thank to you talk for, to. Uh, this is so fun. This is this, the most fun <laughs> talk I've ever had about the taking down of Richard Nixon in my life. <laughs> oh my word, is Fran Hoffner a joy or what? You can follow her at at Fran, F-R-A-N-H-O-E-P-F-N-E-R on Twitter. Um, that'll lead you off to our website. And I've also got a link in the description for her amazing work that is featured at Brightwell Darkroom. Holy shit, she is so much fun. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of All the President's Minutes. Um, knowing that we just slowed down this week, but we'll be back up. We've got a lot of episodes to get through before our eventual end date, before the 22nd of November before the election. Um, thank you all for listening. If you want to follow me, it's one Blake minute on both Twitter and Instagram. If you want to follow the show, it's at ATPM pod. If you want to follow all the things we do at one heat minute productions, it's one heat minute dot com for everything including new shows we have two more episodes of our limited series three hands with gregor jordan coming up we also have 
our fourth last episode of Increment Vice ever, ending October 30. Oh my God, what a murderer's row lineup we have. Really looking forward to you listening to the show there. We will catch you on another episode of All the President's Minutes very soon. Thanks for listening. Share, rate, review. We appreciate you. Share, rate, review, subscribe. We love it.